Game begin. Hello and welcome to Dadgum Nerds, your podcast for family first fanboy fun. I am your host, Andrew. I'm Zach. And I'm Aaron. And this is episode 54 of Dadgum Nerds. We're going to be diving into the epic sci-fi franchise Dune and why the new movie releasing this year could and should get you excited. Aaron, you brought the book on. You know, crying okay. out loud. I'm here for the props. You know that. Aaron is prop man. You know what? <laughs> I give you props. Props, man. This is not my original copy. I had a copy back in high school, and I think I got rid of it between high school and college because I was, you know, on to the next phase of life. And I actually really regret that. So I reordered it the other day because I couldn't believe I didn't have a copy. Um, Uh, Okay. so. Well, now you got that paper back. But it says right here, soon to be a major motion picture. Did y'all know that? Ooh, it's got a sticker. We better talk about that. Yeah, someone got to. (laughs) All right. Well, before we actually get really talking about this, anything happened to you guys in dad life this week? (laughs) So things you would never expect to come out of your kid's mouth. So So Meredith and I. Yeah, right. That's just called fatherhood. (laughs) So Meredith and I were going to the courthouse to renew some licenses. And it's just one of those realities where like you can't find a babysitter because I mean, hey, can you watch our kids while we're going to the courthouse for like 30 minutes? So we just brought them in the car and Mm -hmm. we tried to hype it up as much as we could. Like, hey, we're going to the probate court. This is going to be so much fun. (laughs) We're going to the probate court. Oh, totally. We were totally (laughs) we were dropping the note. Oh, we were hyping this up. All right. And Meredith and I went in shifts. So like I went first and she was entertaining the kids and then, you know, vice versa. Well, today during dinner. Rowan just starts losing his mind, yelling that I want to go to the probate court. I want to go to the probate court. Probate court. I want to go to the probate court. And we're like, Rowan, you don't know what you're asking. You don't want to go to the probate court. And we realized that we had overhyped it. And now he had these dreams that there's like slides and jumping pits and trampolines and chocolate. Yes. So he didn't like, realize he had already been there and that was it. Well, he hey, saw this really big building. And he didn't get to go inside because just mommy and daddy were yeah. going in because they, you know, they're mandating masks right. and you got to go right. through a metal detector. We're like, no, you're staying in the car, kid. Right. So anyway, <laughs> Rowan's going to be real disappointed when he finally he goes to the probate court. Sunshine's Playland in there. <laughs> oh, he this thinks it's, it's like Chuck E. Cheese on steroids <laughs> when just it's wait, really just not. Wait, just like, okay, here we go. DMV, DMV, DMV. <laughs> so anyway, if you ever need a hype squad, Meredith and I do really good at hyping up. Too otherwise, long. really not boring like, things. I can't wait to see what you guys do when he has to pay taxes one day. <laughs> well, all to say is we took a little creative license. <laughs> no. Thank you for that. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's start this discussion. So I think a lot of people have heard of Dune before or at least vaguely familiar with Dune. They kind of heard it, but have Mm -hmm. never gotten around to seeing it. Um, That was certainly the case for me Mm -hmm. uh, with Dune. Um, It's just this kind of like niche book series and a weird movie from the 80s that you just kind of you haven't seen yet, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. But it keeps well, popping up in conversations. It, it's funny, though, because in sci-fi circles, it's extremely popular. And the book right. sold millions and millions of copies. And I think it went through its renaissance maybe, you know, a couple decades ago, maybe the 80s, you know, when the when David Lynch made the the movie and the, like the Dune movie that we know. Um, but the book was very popular uh, when it 
uh, or at least later on after it came oh, yeah. out, a few years after it came out, at least when some of the sequels did. Um, I know, like, again, in sci-fi circles, it's huge. I mean, some people would argue it's it's the best, it's their favorite, it's the best sci-fi there is out there. And well, it's kind of like would hipster agree. sci-fi, though. It, yeah. it was kind of like is, a rite of passage, like Badino Dune. Right. It's definitely, <laughs> there's there's nerd cred to, to Dune, but I think it's become more well-known over time. And actually, it's a funny story. I knew about Dune when I was a kid, like a young kid, way of younger than I could have been for for reading the book. And it's actually what turned it on to me because my mom actually read the books. Oh, go um, mom. Not not super long after, not right when they came out, but but down Shortly a little bit down yeah. the road, like like OG Dune, like she was in on that. Right. Go mom. So this was way before the David Lynch movie came out, which was like early to, to mid 80s. Right. So funny story, uh, I grew up with this Dune beach towel. Like okay. it was legit, like it was a promotional towel for the David Lynch movie. Okay. And it's like orange. <laughs> it's super a faded. Beach towel it, for Dune. Yeah, That's yeah it was a really clever. <laughs> it sits marketing, in the right? sand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was like the logo and it was on like this orange and red, like like it was a really cool towel. Okay. And even as a kid using it, it was already faded. But anyways, my mom won it in a, a Dune trivia contest as part of promoting the movie oh that's awesome but get this she had not seen the movie but she knew all the answers because she had read the books oh so see you come by your nerdum honestly way to go miss sunny way to go so she won the towel and um i will post this on our discord i am going to find a picture of that towel because it is still in a closet somewhere at my parents house i'm pretty sure i will get a picture of that towel and post it on our discord so check it it out you know what when we go see the movie we should try to go see the movie as as the dads you should wear that towel just wear it just be like there we go. But so I was very I was I was aware of it and I, I knew it was sci-fi and I go I read the first two books, which I have to admit now, I've only read the first two. I never got around to the rest. I know I'm familiar with what happens, but I've only actually sat down and read the first two in late high school. Um and then of course I saw the David Lynch movie um about the same time and I actually really like it, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um so well, I've actually been familiar with Dune for for a while. Um and it was all because of it was kind of handed down to me because my mom will say mother. though yes she said you know she loved the first book i think she liked the second and then and i guess that's where i dropped off too she read the others mm-hmm. um but she, she they kind of started losing her okay so you like, so you kind of yeah. come from a family dynasty i do <laughs> house atreides right here <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you have way more background than I did. I <laughs> I watched the movie once in college for required viewing for it, it was like a film of history class. And it was it was in there as you mean a history what, of film class, a history of what class a history yeah. of film. You called it a film of history, a film of history. It is a film of history. <laughs> that was part of my dyspraxia <laughs> class. Um, Alex did or however you say it backwards. <laughs> so uh, we had to watch it as an example of like genre defining sci-fi it is okay. yeah. it is i i would completely agree with it, it fitting in that category so watch it once and i enjoyed it for what it was i mean you know hey 80 sci-fi sign me up oh yeah um, i'm there but but i will say i never once felt like i want to i want to pop in dune tonight you know yeah. right and in the movie and that's and it's unfortunate because i think it's the movie i love the movie disclaimer warts and all and there's a lot of warts, but I think it is a little bit of I don't want to say disservice because that's a strong word to use. But 
it is one of those because I've talked with people um, who are like, oh, yeah, I saw the movie, did not like it. I'm like, I hear you. Oh, yeah, I get I, that. I get that. Yeah. You should still read the book because the way the movie tries to convey it and condense it and everything like I, I hear what you're saying. I know you jump in and you well, feel like you missed half the story on the movie and i and i get that well I, i'll, I'll pick book. up i'll pick up on that though because i watched the 1984 david lynch movie and was like okay this is weird but i kind of get it mm-hmm. I'm like you have to <laughs> you, you kind of have to look through the weird um but i i i saw the promise and like okay i get why people actually enjoy this and so i'm really intrigued to pick up the book at some point in time i did a lot of homework coming into this yeah um, just to make sure that, you know, all because my... we're nerds. It's what yeah. we do. And our very limited free time is dead. <laughs> we study Dune. Dune. <laughs> Dune, my Dune homework. Um, Did you get an A? Wow. But, well, okay. the whole reason that we are talking this... Got a D. To, the whole reason that we are talking this tonight is that the first official trailer for the upcoming film that's coming out later this year uh, is coming out. And we thought we'd go over exactly what this franchise is all about. Mm-hmm. And why we think more people should be talking about it, like mm-hmm. how we kind of got it. Um, so, uh, Aaron, let's let's have you take this one. Like, kind of what is Dune? What what yeah. is the what is the franchise? Yeah. So uh, Frank Herbert wrote the first one, or it was published uh, back in the mid '60s. Um, the nice. the first novel won a bunch of awards, um, and he went on to write five more uh, books in the series: Dune Messiah, Children of Dune. God Emperor of Dune, Heretics of Dune, and Chapter House Dune. He was supposed to write a seventh and then passed away before he mm. he finished it. So uh, looking at you, uh, George R. R. I, Martin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of parallels here. I will say, although I think we'll get into this later too. Uh, George Martin definitely read Dune. Oh um, yes, he did. Uh, I don't know if he's ever admitted to that. I'm sure he's a nerd anyway, so he probably did. But like his work was definitely influenced by it. Um, so he was, he was supposed to write a seventh one, even though I haven't read like sat down and read the last novel. I know what happens in it. And it actually ends on a cliffhanger. Oh, um, <laughs> he was never ready to finish. But um, if you aren't familiar with his inspiration behind it, it's it's pretty interesting how how Frank Herbert ended up coming up with these ideas. Um, there's a lot of themes in here, uh, from, from politics, uh, religion, mm-hmm. uh, environmentalism, all these things that of right. course were big in the 1960s and the countercultural movement. Um, and he really tapped into that. And while I may not agree with all his conclusions on these, these things, um, <laughs> it is woven right. throughout and he does a very masterful job of that. It's, so it's still really engaging though, how he it does is. it. It well, is. and it's it, deep. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. not just world building, it's universe building. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it taps into like human psychology and and mm-hmm. and all these just interesting things to think about. So there's actually an attempt to make this into a, a full length movie in the 1970s. Yeah, um, it was ultimately canceled because I believe it went way over budget. There might have I can't <laughs> was there disputes over rights. I can't remember. Um, it ended up not happening for whatever reason, and then was finally brought to the big screen by David Lynch of Twin Peaks fame, uh, although he made Dune first. Um, mm-hmm. And it uh, actually received mostly negative reviews at the time. But I, I really gained, don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, and, and I get that. Like when you came out after the first two Star Wars uh star trek movies have come star, out yeah at least two star trek movies i can't remember if blade runner was out before or after that no, like blade runner was after this it was after okay so he makes it it comes you know but it, it gains a cult following um there's a three-part miniseries which i have to admit i have not seen but probably should that came out in 2000 
And then, of course, why are we talking about it now? Besides the fact it's just super sci-fi. There's a new version coming out October. It's supposed to come out October of this year. Um, And if you haven't watched the trailer, check it out. I think it does a good job. It's got me really excited. And I am admittedly kind of protective of this. Like, it's one of those, like, you don't get Dune wrong. Yeah, and and it's a hard adaptation (laughs) to bring to screen. It is. And mm. it's, it's one of those, like... You can't dumb down Dune because that's the whole point. It can't be dumbed down. And I Mm -hmm. think that's both the the thing I like about the Lynch movie and also its biggest flaw and why it probably flopped is because they try to cram this all in there and they're trying not to dumb it down. And that's really hard to do in making something that's supposed to be mainstream and making something that I think they're getting right. I heard they're splitting this into two movies. And if they are, that makes me genuinely excited. Because yes. Same. The- Normally, I just cringe at that. Hobbit, anyone? Um, That's three movies. Good, sir. It, well, you're Harry right. Harry Potter you're, seven. Uh, right. Yeah. This this is something that truly to be done right. I you think you can make two, two full length movies and you're not. Um, you're not doing it just as a money grab. I think, uh, although that yeah, certainly well, helps. Interestingly, in research for this, even David Lynch, his original movie was shot to be five hours long. I, I'm not sure. And then studio execs cut no it down to the that. two and a half. Right. So we so, would, but and that's why it feels so jammed. Is I'm sure a lot of that necessary progression and all right, here's how this house relates to this house and the politics right. is lost. And so I'm happy the runtime for this movie is currently at 2.30, two, two hours and 30 minutes. And that's so necessary. if there are two indeed, we know that would be five that, hours. So exactly. maybe David Lynch had it right the first I, I, time. He might have. And it's also why you ended up with like, like someone just talking to you for two minutes with exposition oh because my, it was yeah. like, how else are we going to get this in there? This is critical information. And, but you mm-hmm. had me cut three scenes that tells it in an interesting way. So well, we're just going to have this weirdly dressed lady just kind of telling it to you. Speaking of exposition dumps, um, if I was sitting in our audience's shoes and I'm like, okay, so you guys are talking about doing for, you know, the last 10 minutes or so, what the heck is this series about in the first yeah. place? So uh, what's the pitch to anyone who hasn't seen it? So I have done my best to lay the groundwork on this one. We're here. Mm-hmm. Let me explain. No, wait, that'll take too long. Let us sum up. Let me sum up. (laughs) Um, So Dune is set 25,000 years in the future. Uh, AI and all the machines that have been made to think have been cleansed in a crusade that has happened millennia before the events of Dune. And it's resulted in a group of people known as the Mentats who are basically human computers. They like do high level calculations. So they do the same thing computers do, but, um, you know, just without the AI side of things. Mm -hmm. But this universe is actually kind of reverted to more of a feudal state. There is an emperor and there are lots of houses like there are even in Game of Thrones. Um, there's a bunch of them, but the the story of Dune focuses on two particular houses in particular. The first one is House Atreides Treaties. and the other is House Harkonnen. Mm-hmm. House Atreides is run by a guy named Duke Leto. Um, he has a uh, concubine named Lady Jessica, who's at his right hand side, and they have a son named Paul, who is the main character in this series. House Harkonnen is run by a guy named uh, Baron Harkonnen, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, who really is like just this grotesquely sounds evil, like a like, bad guy. Just yeah, this I mean, evil Vladimir. incarnate guy. I think yeah. there's just there's a little bit of Cold War 
era uh, uh, blending into there when it was written. <laughs> I don't see a guy named Vladimir Harkonnen making teddy bears in a flower shop, you know? <laughs> well, uh, House Harkonnen is the sworn enemy of House Atreides. They vowed to wipe him off the map. Um, and House Harkonnen controls a desert planet known as Arrakis, or it's commonly known as Dune. Which <gasps> that's where we get the title for uh, the series. Because it's a desert. It's a desert planet. There. It's a big desert planet. Think Tatooine. I see what um, they're doing. <laughs> uh, well, uh, this planet, Arrakis, is the only source of a extremely valuable substance known as uh, spice or melange. Mm-hmm. And it is known to extend life, give like cosmic awareness if you uh, uh, take it over a long period of time. And even like top tier levels, you can actually fold space um, because of your awareness with cosmic This is stuff totally from the 60s. This oh, is yeah. totally shrooms. This is so, space shrooms. So basically, he who controls Arrakis controls the universe. They control space travel. They control a lot of the oh, high level so stuff that, that happens. Yeah, that's the important thing to mention. So the spice is absolutely essential to space travel. It's yes. the only way it can mm. be done because the AI that used to make the calculations for such space travel They're not there have been dis- not just destroyed. They are illegal. There is there is almost religious text that says you cannot make a machine in in like the image and thinking of man to think so you have you have one planet that is the source for this spice that is not only addictive but is required in this universe for space travel that is valuable so he who (laughs) controls arrakis controls the the spice controls the universe well the emperor Mm. really controls it but it is governed by house harkonnen at the beginning of this series but uh the emperor and certain factions are threatened by House Atreides. They're kind of rising stars. They're a big house already, but like they've got political ambitions uh, as well as kind of a fierce way of warriors. It's called the Weirding Way, which I find a weird name personally, but um, the Weirding Way, the Weirding mm-hmm. Way. Yes. Um, but anyways, it is a threat to the emperor and certain factions. And so the emperor actually allies with House Harkonnen to lay a trap and House Harkonnen is totally on board for that. Uh, in order to do that, they give control of Arrakis to House Atreides. So now it's hmm. kind of like, a, OK, why are you doing this? But Atreides. Well, yeah, they Atreides say it's like know, you're it's they're like it's a it's a fiefdom, basically. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, well, we're going to switch out who kind of controls this is kind of they treat it as like, well, it's kind of your turn now. Right. Now you will you will you will Atreides, run this place for a while. Atreides knows something's up. They don't know exactly what it is, but they can't say no to this particular one because it's Arrakis and the emperor. So it's too big to say no to. Um, so ha- obviously Harkonnen is plotting behind the scenes with something. Hmm. Uh, so they get to Arrakis. Like I said, it's like Tatooine, oceans of sand. There's spice in everything like you can just naturally breathe it in and exposure over time. You know, you get light exposure. Uh, but there's two groups of people or two groups of natives who are there, uh, one of which is a uh, human race known as the Fremen. Uh, they're mm-hmm. desert dwellers. <laughs> they have what are called still suits, and they've basically mastered desert survival. Um, and they somehow have made this planet their home. They've been subjugated by the emperor, kind of made as servants in some areas, mining in others, um, or even just those who are resisting against it. Um, but they seem really deeply connected to the planet and to Spice Melange. Uh, they are uh, said to have eyes that are blue within blue, like glowing blue within blue. And if you watch the trailer, blue you can see that. Blue. But these Fremen have what is a prophecy that say that someone is going to come along uh, later on and not only free them 
from their oppression and give them control of Arrakis, but basically start in the Freeman. Yes. Um, but basically like this will spread across the universe. Like their, their Mm -hmm. thing will spread across the universe. Uh, Mm -hmm. but they need their Messiah in order for that to happen. The other group of natives, uh, is called the worms creatively. Uh, probably the thing any if you know anything about dune you, you know, know about, about the sandworms, sandworms. you know yep. these massive sandworms that are there they're attracted to vibrations in the sand which makes mining spice extremely Rith- dangerous uh, rhythmic vibrations yes yep um and that makes anything that they're doing with spice mining very dangerous they found some ways around that but it's still not great so the whole setup on this if you're going to take away one sentence from this is house atreides is on a dangerous planet knowing full well that there's a lethal trap that's about to be that's coming in some way. But all they can do is wait. And that's the setup for just the first book in this series. Wow. Dune. Did you get all that, honey? (laughs) (laughs) That was the summary. That was. And to be clear, like all this is in the trailer. So that's not really spoilery. And I, and I sat here. I'm like, okay, how do I really condense this down to what's the nuts and bolts of this? Honestly, this is good. I, that that's the best it's, I can do. It's hard to do because there's a couple other points I was going to make, and then I realized eh, it's kind of slipping into spoiler territory. Oh. Just just know that there are bigger, as you can guess from our setup, there are much bigger things at play here. Everything from Lady Jessica to, um, well, how Paul plays into all this, and anyway, there's a lot bigger things that end up much bigger in just the first book and end up like galactically bigger in in this, in the sequels this is the thirty thousand foot flyover yeah exactly yeah, exactly that, uh, if you want to know basically what's the gist of this that is the gist of it um and so what i mean we kind of already talked about it a little bit but what is it about dune that we think makes it so special yeah. to a lot of people um zach you want to start us off uh i, I mean i I think this is essentially the same reason people got into Game of Thrones. I mean, it's it's politics, it's rivalries, it's intrigue, it's backstabbing in space. So it's got that kind of world building that you just you can dive in and you can't quite find the bottom. And, you know, similar to what Tolkien did with Middle Earth, George Herbert really created a history because what I didn't even realize in researching this is like the first book. I think it was like his son or someone else years later kind of came out with like the prequel books and it dealt with like, all right, what was the cleansing of all the AI machines? How did the emperor become the emperor? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, when you arrive here in Dune, there's 25,000 years worth of history that set this up. So you, you come into a universe that already feels lived in, which is cool for any nerd to be able to just sink your teeth into something. So I think that's why it's special. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the world building is phenomenal and it came up and he has the benefit, of course, being one of those uh, early ish, but still modern sci fi writers. We talked about this on on the last show. What, what are some of our favorite ones? And I mentioned like Philip K. Dick and some of those other ones that are around like the 50s and 60s. And this falls in that category, too. And he's put together a world where everything works together and is really interesting. So this setup of like, well, you have to have this spice to travel through space it's a requirement because Mm -hmm. of these things there is no ai it's also got these other like well it's addictive like to the point where you'll 
you're so addicted to it, you'll die without it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You have, but it's also extremely dangerous to mine because there's these massive sandworms that are also that play a role in producing it that will attack anything that the rhythmic vibrations, whether it's machines or footsteps in the sand or whatever. And there's one planet where you can get it. And, and this is these themes, uh, this all ties into that. This is an allegory for oil, I'm sure, especially oh, yeah. in the 1960s oh. political sphere. You're talking mm-hmm. about like there's 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 all these things he's drawing on from the real world, um, but he's created everything because I think we've probably all read books or seen shows where you can poke a lot of holes in it. You're like, OK, but so this, this magic yeah. is capable or it's like it's like, why are there time turners in Harry Potter? Like immediately mm-hmm. you just like you poke holes in the pot. like he has set something up that that you in to me, at least you really can't. Like there's not yeah. the world, the universe works really well. If you take um, if you take one element out of it, other things start falling out, and it's right, just this cascade right. effect. It's and it's well good. It's good. Out. It's a good fairy tale to where it asks you, all right, here's the one thing that you need to suspend your disbelief on, right? And that's you need to believe in melange, this. right? Just believe and, in this one thing, and then the right. rest will work, right? And even it's explained pretty yeah. well, like how it works. But it asks that, right? That's the one thing. Please just. That's Go the space along with this here. and everything else yeah. will work. It's um, the force. It's the one ring. It, you, I mean, it's melange right. for you. Dune. And you touched on this, Zach. There's tons of political intrigue. Oh, just um, dripping in, with in, it. In, in, in the first book, particularly. Um, but it does something that a million and one stories have done, which is the Messiah character, the mm-hmm. chosen one. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get I'm not going to do spoilers here, um, especially for the books that came after the first one. Um, but it does it very well and it is hardly the first story to do that it was hardly the last one to do it and it is a setup to such bigger things and it's not as straightforward as a lot of other stories do it it's actually really interesting how it arrives at this and what comes of it and i mentioned this early on and again avoiding spoilers the future books um carry the story on but much further out timeline wise. So it's oh, there's like seeing, millennia gaps. Right. I right. Mean, you see the ramifications the of what happens in here in the galaxy and humanity in the galaxy thousands of years down the road. And, I think that's really, really cool. And that's and that's part of what draws me to this story, too, is the scale of yes. what Frank Herbert created. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you, this isn't just something that took place over a few years, over a few planets or whatever. Most right. most of this first book does take place on Dune, but it's yes, got the stuff first one elsewhere. does. Yeah, yeah the first um, one absolutely does. But but you just you get the sense of just this. This is a living, breathing universe yeah. that goes on for light years and light years and light years. And I think that is his point, which also brings me to my second point, which is all those themes that run through this, the politics, religion, environmentalism um like human psychology the this this search that i think we all have for a greater understanding of how the world and the universe works is woven through all that i think that's how it's captured i'm going beyond the Mm -hmm. movie right now that's how it's captured is you're looking at how point a affects not just point b but like all the way through point z and that the events in here have lasting ramifications for millennia and Oh, this is hard because I won't get the spoilers. Um, but you, you can it, spoil it to us afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> we're not recording. How um, about that? It, we can do a spoiler. We can do a spoiler <laughs> after show. <laughs> um, but all of that plays together. And he's he's writing it at a time where he's 
observing all this and drawing from his own personal experiences and drawing from the political climate of the time. Mm. And it's one of those kind of I, I, I this I think ties into my other point I want to make. It's kind of like uh, the new boss, the same as the old boss, like a lot of the themes that run through this haven't really changed like yes the world looks different in some ways but those at their core like politics is still politics and all the other things he's looking at is like human nature remains the same and i think again even if you and i don't agree with all the conclusions that you know he kind of arrived at in his personal beliefs that are kind of interwoven his worldview is interwoven right it still makes an absolutely fantastic, intriguing story, which is my last point about why I think it's so special is that it goes to depths that other sci-fi doesn't. And I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. I love Stargate and Firefly and all you name it. Um, I love, you know, I think you could start to make an argument, you know, when you get into what we talked about with like Philip K. Dick and some of, you know, his stories and Mm -hmm. things like that, that have uh, more of a, a message behind it. And Star Trek certainly has it, too. But yeah. like this to me, and I, I don't want to sound like a hipster here, but this is it's a whole other level. Yeah. And it because of that, I felt like it never really made it mainstream, like at the risk of sound again. I and I, I don't want this to be the approach, but like it really does separate like the Star Wars and even Star Trek nerds from like, right other sci-fi side and everyone's welcome this is a oh, big yeah. tent party like, here oh, right you, like you know dune right oh, okay. like this mm-hmm. is not this is not gatekeeping or like a you know a check on how nerdy you are or anything like that but like if you meet someone who knows is, dune before this new movie <laughs> came out like i didn't i mean i didn't know anyone in high school that had read dune so i kind of kept it to myself because i was like wow you really are out yeah. of yourself at that point um and it is like the mark of a sci-fi nerd. If you not have only read it, but like, you know it and you love it. Yeah. Um, but I am excited because I think this is going to push it into the mainstream. Well, and, and speaking that's a good of, thing. and speaking of which, fans, I mean, it's always what, a good thing. I, I think there's some obvious reasons why we think s- some of the reasons why this hasn't made it mainstream. Um, but I, I'll start off on this one. Like, what are some of those things? The first one is that at face value, if you're just looking at this casually, it's weird. Oh, yeah. I think people see the sandworms Spice and they're and like, space worms? what? what? And, and, and this goes, I actually, I think we were talking about this on another episode, Andrew. Marvel, I want to credit Marvel, the Disney, like Iron Man on for making things that even 20 years, I would say 10 years ago, but goodness gracious, that's when Marvel started 20 years ago. We would have been like, we would have loved it, but a lot of people yeah. would have been like, what? Marvel is super mainstream now. Yeah. And I think that that knee jerk reaction of like sandworms, a what that's kind the of faded because right. Because yeah. people Game of Thrones, super mainstream mm-hmm. Marvel, super mainstream. And I think once you get it's past real all people that, telling real stories in a fantasy <laughs> setting, <laughs> our starship is right. Leslie. No, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, sorry to interrupt Andrew, but I think that's, I, I want no, to make I, that I, point that we've, I think, as a movie going culture or even a book reading culture have moved past like the things that used to be like super nerdy and weird, that barrier has been broken down a little bit, a a little bit, but this one's still, like you said, is kind of at another level and it takes really some dedication to push through that. Like that weird level that you kind of have to come at this with a level of determination. Like, all right, I'm, I get the gist of this, but let's dive in and see how they're actually pulling this off. Right. And that takes that takes a level of dedication that not everybody's going to do. I mean, even 
some nerds as well. Well, Fair. but I, I think it's also the way it's communicated because I think what makes this trailer and really this treatment of the story, I think a lot more palatable for general audiences is it takes away all of the layers of weird. It tries yeah. to make them cool and it boils it down to a relationship. Yeah, something, something that got me in the trailer was that line of like, well, if you end up being nothing else, you just You're need to be whatever son. I needed you to be my son. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all right, these are smart storytellers to where, yes, Atraxis, the Harkonnen, Sant Dune, Milan, all these terms that normally people would just go, okay, nope, you lost me. I mean, you know, let, look at Rocket Raccoon with a talking tree. Who would have yep. signed up for that movie? Right, right. But right. they boil it down to a relationship and that mm. resonates with people there regardless. And so I, I'm very excited with what the filmmakers have chosen to do. So that actually brings up one of the things that you mentioned, Andrew, like we're talking about what what are the things that hold it back from mainstream? And I have to say the terminology um, yeah. it was in the Lynch movie, but it's in the books particularly bad. Um, I think it may have been intentional from a writing standpoint and just how he approached it. But I feel like when you read the book, there is this assumption of the reader that you know what he's talking about. Oh yeah. I mean, even in the movie, it's and they drop, they drop you in the middle of it, like, okay, I've got 25,000 years of history to catch up right, on. And so like, right. there's stuff that happens that it's like, oh yeah, you should know about this. And you're like, okay. From, from yeah, from names, it's mostly names, but names, yeah. phrases, like guilds. And anytime you have to read that, you're like, well, I don't just need to know like what it is. I need to know what it is. You can't mm -hmm. tell me like, oh, it's this, you know, melange, like, that one's a little easier because it's explained in the book. It's like, oh, right. well, it's a spice that allows for space travel. Okay, I'm going to need you to tell me a lot more about that because one, that sounds <laughs> amazing. And two, like there's got it. Yeah. This sounds important. Or, there's a lot of that. And, and what's a mentat? Right. And again, I think I think that's partially intentional on his part to make it feel like a living like that world building of like, well, of course, you know what this means. No, and I think that's kind of creative. On the other hand, boy, is that hard it, it put, to read through sometimes it puts if you don't a huge push through wall up. for us we'll put up with it because we love sci-fi we love these kind of things we love digging into the world that's been built mm -hmm. if you're a more casual reader um i could see where that would that would really turn you off i actually had a hard time with that with game of thrones because okay. george martin broke the cardinal rule of like you're not supposed to name two main characters and have them their names start with the same letter yeah <laughs> That, yep. As an author or a screenwriter, you're just not supposed to do that because it's very confusing for the audience. Well, he immediately threw that out the window. He's like Tyrion not and Tywin. That, not just that. It. He's like, <laughs> it's not just going to be two Gs. It's Tyrion or, or, or Tywin, his dad, and Tyrion, his son. Get those straight. It took me a while, even watching the show, yeah. but especially hearing the audiobook. I'm like, who are we talking about here? <laughs> um, and there's a lot of that in this. That said, push through it. Read the book. It's really oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. And then the other thing, and I touched on this, but I think it's a hurdle. It's deep. Mm -hmm. It's deep. And the point is that it's deep. It's not just a it's good a story. Like, it really exactly. is. Like you said, Zach, it's not just a good story because at its core, although it expands beyond this, like it is about the people and, but it's also about the humanity and those themes that run through it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not into that, uh, yeah, you're going to be really bored with this because that's, the point now Looking it's you, all kevin. woven in, yeah kevin <laughs> read for fun kevin um it's all woven in in a way that that is really to me it makes a great story yeah but if you're satisfied and there's nothing wrong with this if you're satisfied with like 
Star Wars level and I love Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to go much deeper than like the force and some of the themes that that explores. Like this is way beyond that. And understandably, that is hard to turn into something interesting in a novel to someone who's not into it, but especially on screen. There's only yeah. so much you can do because then you start to stray into making things up that aren't in the novel. And then you start upsetting people like us who are. So anyways, I think right. I think that's the what it ran into. And I think that's evidenced by the Lynch film that yeah. it's just way hard to convert to screen because of all this. And well, I, yeah, go for it, Zach. I, I think also it, it story aside, when you just kind of step back and look at the culture as a whole, it was just late to the party because people had already been through a generation of watching Star Trek. Star yeah. Wars was a cultural phenomenon. Wow. Star Trek was starting to get on the movie, the movie train. And then this comes out and it's kind of like, right. all right, throw the, uh, throw another sci-fi on the pile. Yeah. Oh wait, this one doesn't come with lightsabers. All right. right. I can't watch it with I my kids. I have to think so, on this one. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of chicken and egg though, because I would also make the argument that it w Lynch wouldn't have gotten the green light had sci-fi not been popularized in the late seventies and early eighties by Star Wars breaking through to a made audience because before that, I mean, yeah, you had 20, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey and some of the others that had been like up here. But but sci-fi was kind of like for kids and kind of sometimes trashy. And and, yeah. and to have mm -hmm. Star Wars come out and do it again, like you said, Zach, have a good story. It's not about mm -hmm. the setting. That's cool. But it's about a good story Father, about people. Son. Exactly. I think I wonder if I wonder if because of the success of Star Wars and all the things that tried to mimic it, but didn't quite live up to it, um, as well as some of the Star Trek motion pictures and everything um, that that's what convinced the studio. Yeah, we should give this a go because we're seeing monetary success from all these others. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guarantee you that's why it got greenlit was because they're trying to cash in on Star Wars money. I mean, it well, was and three, Star Trek. Three, why what? cast Patrick Stewart yeah. in the role that he was in? Well, they, I mean, this were, was this was even before. Well, this is 84. So this would have been what, five, four or five years before Next Generation came out. Uh, Next Generation yeah, was, like 88, was 87, I 88, I think. Right. Yeah. 87 or 88, something like that. So oh, either okay. way, this, this came out before Star but Trek. There were, did. let's see, there was. Star Trek Next Generation. At least two of uh, original. Let's see. Wrath of Khan was 81 or 82, I think. Yeah. So was the motion picture came yeah, out. 70s, for that, yeah. 79. Um, but yeah, it's it, 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 there. There are barriers. But I think and that's my hope. That's my hope with this new film is that it breaks those down. And I know there's people who 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 want to cling to it as the thing that like sets nerds apart. But I want to make Dune cool because it deserves yeah. a wide it, audience. And I think this could be the thing that kind of pushes through that and shows it, them. It, it's like the Marvel is like all these people who used to, you know, make fun of comic book readers are now mm -hmm. like the ones who are just eating up Marvel content. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope that's what this does, because my grand hope in all this is that it creates more actual quality sci fi and, and fantasy mm -hmm. content yeah. down the road because people realize, oh, good stuff can become popular. Yeah, yeah it can it, spice it, things up. It needs its it moment in the sun. just worm its way into society. And Man, why did I do this episode with you two? Why did I do that to myself? Anyway. That's, just make that's, peace with us, Andrew. Just make yeah. peace with us and you can have an a treaty's a treaty. Okay. You can't so desert us now. So that is uh, <laughs> that is a great uh, segue into uh, the final question that we have, which is, you know, we obviously do have that new Dune adaptation coming out, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Aaron was talking about. Um, I 
it, it's to me this is looking incredible so far and has so much potential um, well so I, how do how do you make an obscure sci-fi popular do exactly what they're doing yeah. before this episode i showed the trailer to my wife who knows nothing about Dune. I, just, just as a formality, I'm like, all right, I kind of already know the answer. Have you ever seen the movie Dune? No? Okay, watch this trailer. Um, and mm. I, I was like, it's brilliant with their casting because it's like, oh, hey, that's Aquaman. Oh, hey, that's the gal from from James Bond. Oh, hey, that's Zendaya. So Josh yeah, Brolin. Yeah, 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 it's Poe Dameron. So for her... The draw is, hey, I know these people. Have no clue what the story is, but I know these people. And Again, that gets, it's about the people. That gets me super excited. Like the cast oh, they do have lined up for this. They've got um, Timothy Chamelay playing Paul Atreides, Oscar Isaac playing Duke Leto Atreides, Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible um, playing Lady Jessica. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård is going to just absolutely kill it as Baron oh, Arconan. Destroy yeah. in that role. You got Put some boils on that man. Yeah. yeah. Zendaya, J Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Dave Batista. There's a ton of other names that are in this. It is a loaded cast that this movie has. And not just a loaded one. It's a good cast of characters for what Solid. they're trying to do. Oh my word. Seeing Zendaya oh, yeah. with the, the blue within blue eyes. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, such a great choice. What jazzes me up about this too, is that the tech is finally caught up to, I think to where the point where you can actually tell this story effectively. Well, funnily, I agree. Funnily enough though, I looked up the budgets for the films and like the original Dune, if you, if you account for inflation was actually made around the same budget as this one. Wow. So it's interesting to see with what you can do with the same buying power 30, 40 years later. Right. Which I think is just a testament to the world we live in and the technology advancement in it. But I will say, I will say, Andrew, I think that's, and you've heard me say this before on our podcast a lot. I think that's something that endears the original one to me ah, because okay. I think, well, so I'm, I think most people would agree. There are some special effects in the, in the Lynch, Dune movie that are phenomenal. Yeah. I thought the effects oh, yeah. on the sandworm, yeah. especially in the context of, scary. of when it was made, I think it still holds up. I think it yeah. looks about as real as you could get, knowing full well it's probably a puppet on a a, a miniature. Um, but the actual model and everything looks amazing, and I'm sure there's there's yeah. plenty of people to thank for that. I'm Only sure George Lucas is one of the ones that advanced that kind of stuff. On the flip side, there are effects. Like the ships flying, so bad. that look like garbage. It's so and bad. I go back and, and the, like the okay, body so barriers. That's every oh, yeah. When, when yeah. I was like, oh, no, you tried. But, but that's one of the few times. Like we're talking about eighty four here, and they're doing CG special effects around. Like that's a lot. And, and I'll give them. And this is this is the reason that I, like I try and give it a lot of credit because I'm not going to cut you any slack on the ships flying. Look, Star Wars seventy <laughs> seven. It looked Looks, phenomenal. It yeah. You mm -hmm. had seven or eight years since then to get it right. I mean, 2001, a space odyssey looked way, yeah. way better than this. So that's trash. I like the, but a lot of the other practical effects really good. A lot of the state, like a lot of it was just clearly a set that was built. And that's what mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. appreciate that they're not, it's not, you know, a green screen with computers and money and you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I will agree. I also think that pushing the boundary and I'm not going to hold up Lynch's 
Dune as like a boundary pusher necessarily for technology. <laughs> but I like that it was at that time where they were like experimenting right. with, with some mm-hmm. of the CGI effects and knowing that it probably wasn't going to be exactly what they were going for, but they tried. And I think yeah. sci-fi as a genre was the place place to do that. So I want to give it credit where credit's due. I think there are scenes and shots yes. in there that are absolutely phenomenal. And then there are others that are just horrendous like <laughs> laughably bad horrendous yep. mm-hmm. this i think and 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 you and i know i think mainstream audiences they have to have modern special effects oh yeah they are not going to, to watch cool the dune lynchard because like granted for all the ones that are good there's the ones that aren't so great and this there's will be the Sharknado. thing right this will be the thing where it's like wow that's actually of scale and is epic and you you have to have the sandworm in the trailer and like holy cow that they mm. like that's how they're described in it's, the books it, it's the scale again you, you catch the scale of what this universe is just from the trailer i can't tell you how many times i've heard people tell me oh i don't i don't want to watch that movie because it's old or or ah. the effects or they go beyond that maybe they'll go beyond that and say oh well i don't want to watch that like like Jurassic sci-fi Park not, is old no 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 like the like still like, hold up though and it's amazing. right but like so, they don't say old like in the sense of like well i don't want to watch you know wizard of oz because it's old because by the way those effects still hold up too for the 1930s um Some. for the 1930s 39 <laughs> man for that's, the a 30s. Whole, that's a whole that's for a whole thir- other conversation yeah. Yeah. but anyways i've had people like they've told me like it takes me out of the story it takes me out of the story because it's so and that's distracting and that's fair. That's understandable. That's fair. doesn't bother me, but that's, and, and as we were talking before this, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm the one here. That's not, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, not true. That, not true. A, Look it up online, folks. He has a director credit on IMDb for the no, sword. No. Aaron Brown. <laughs> Look it up. IMDb, um, the sword going in the show notes. So I think that's, what's going to open this up to the mainstream though is that you're going yeah. to have special effects that people expect these days. You're modernizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the moment they had my money is when I saw that it was the same director as Arrival, which yes. I, I can't remember mm-hmm. which episode we brought up on. Maybe it was like it was favorite a, underrated sci-fi it IPs. It was underrated sci-fi IPs, and I brought that up the movie Arrival. Absolutely makes the list. And, and it's funny because I would even describe that as a thinker sci-fi. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, who better to helm this than someone who's already proven they can pull off a thinker sci-fi? And, and Aaron, you may appreciate this. He also directed Blade Runner 2049. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So I, so you have, look, I, nothing tops the original, but I also thought for something that didn't need a sequel, it was a fairly worthy sequel, imperfect, Mm -hmm. but, but really good. And that actually, I did not realize that that Mm -hmm. actually gives me a lot of confidence because he knows effects and world building. That's Blade Runner. Yeah. Scope and, and, and storytelling that's goes beyond the surface that's blade runner and i thought the sequel again not as great as the original but it um it did capture most of that that is very encouraging i didn't realize that and the cinematographer is the same cinematographer as rogue one okay so i just this this movie just looks amazing like they checked Mm -hmm. all the right boxes that if you're going to do a desert planet and make something that looks foreign otherworldly but at the same time something that draws you in and intriguing like they just 
everything about the art direction in this so far yeah. just looks incredible. Well, and, and even to the soundtrack, which I mean, it, it, we shouldn't be surprised. Hans Zimmer, his amazingness yes. as I always. Mean, come which, on. Fun fact on that one. So Hans Zimmer has always worked with uh, director Christopher Nolan on just about everything that he's done. Uh, and that partnership has brought us some of the greatest soundtracks that have ever. I, bah, I love it. <laughs> so it, it is a big deal when Hans Zimmer says no to a Christopher Nolan film to work on Dune. Mm. Wait, he said no to Tenet. He said no to Tenet to work I should have said no to Tenet too, but. (laughs) (laughs) Which that is thinker sci-fi like a whole other level. Yeah, that's more like I'm intentionally being confusing. You lay people can try and figure this out kind of (laughs) sci-fi. You mere mortals. (laughs) Yeah, that's God level thinking. You know, something though, watching the trailer and I, I hope they, I hope the movie takes its time, especially if it's getting too because I know the trap that's easy to fall in and we got to make this mainstream is we got to pack it with action. No, do that when it's appropriate. There's Mm -hmm. plenty of, there's times for that. It's in the novel. Don't do it for the sake of doing it though. Um, Take your time to tell the story, right? Let the action come when it's supposed to, and don't be afraid to, to just like game of Thrones. Like there is mostly just talking in game of Thrones. That's honestly what most of it is. Oh, the action is the repartee of two battles of the wits right. going on. And, and we it's so get, intriguing. We get battles, but heck, in the first, maybe even the second season, it's like, oh, this huge battle. And in the, on screen, like Tyrion gets knocked out. Yep. So he literally <laughs> didn't have to film the battle. Skip the battle. And then it cuts to like the aftermath. And no one was sitting there, myself included, maybe someone, but my I wasn't sitting there going like, oh man, I really wanted to see that. I was like, Oh, what's coming next? We got to see what happens between these. Did characters. he survive? If yeah. you do it right, you you can easily get away with that, even with mainstream audiences. And I hope that the trailer is very action oriented. I get it; it's a trailer. Yeah. Um, but I hope that again, it takes its time, especially if they have time. If they're making two movies, yeah. let's mm-hmm. let's get it right. And this is this is a chance to. Oh, I would agree. This has the potential to be the definitive version of dune hitting the screen and i wouldn't say that with anything adding adaptation that hits and you know has good effects or whatever i i i don't say that lightly mm-hmm. knowing what i know about dune though this very much has the potential to be the definitive version of this hitting the screen this brings up an interesting thing though because if it is successful and i really hope it is do they try and adapt some of the sequels so to go down that mm. path for a second mm. this as just knowing what I do know about the movie industry and how you do that. That's hard Yeah, because something we so interesting. We ran into this. I think we even talked about it. One of the barriers they ran into when making the new versions of the Narnia movies is that the four Pevensey children are only wholly in two of the books. If you don't count last battle at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, so when they found themselves past Prince Caspian, they're like, well, our ma- half our main characters are gone. And by the time you get this over chair, yep. there's no Pevensey children in it. How do you get audiences to buy into that? If they were concerned about that, I can <laughs> tell you right you're now. You're changing a millennia of characters. You're talking about once you get to even book two, all of this plays into it, but it's a very different setup. Mm-hmm. Once you go past that, um, I'm going to tell you, it gets kind of weird. And that's that's talking after the first book, like to call it a little weird is is pretty out there. 
Um, there's a lot going on. I think it's brilliant, but translating it to screen um, is going to be hard. On the flip side, all of the setup in book one, which, by the way, it's interesting to say it, it is a setup. It has its own kind of conclusion, <laughs> but it's a setup to much bigger things. Um, and it's so hard because there's so many things I want to talk about that are all spoilers. Um, so <laughs> when the movie comes out, we need to have another discussion because then I can actually talk about them. There we go. Um, we're, we're just going to call this Aaron Unleashed. Right. So let's <laughs> let's just. It, it, a lot of it has to do with the prophecy that's being talked about. And I'm not going to say any more than that, because I feel like if I do just too much gets revealed, but it, it, a lot of things play into this. Um, I will be curious to see, do they, do they go on and try and adapt the other ones yeah, to, to movies? But well, part- I think I, before we move beyond the prophecy, <sighs> I think it ultimately comes down to profit. And if profit. this movie is profitable, <laughs> Then they're gonna make more because hey, that's how the movie but, industry you know, works. Who controls the spice? Yeah, <laughs> if, if the spice no. is right, spice I, must flow. And I realize that I'm asking the impossible on this, but part of me is like Hollywood. Can't we just have two nice things? No, and just leave if it, it makes that? money, they have to make more. That, that's I, how it works, Andrew. I, I know. Again, I'm. I realize that my expectations are 100 percent unrealistic. But, but, but my if guess, they were to only make. Part one and part two. If that were it, I'd be happy. Life is well, good. I well, would as would, well. But the I would as well. Sitting on a gold mine that yeah. they want to just continually squeeze all the spice out of. My yep. guess is they'll do the same thing as they did with Game of Thrones to where they don't want to be tied to the books that happen later. So we'll get a prequel trilogy. Well, I, I mean, it could potentially see if it gets weird and complicated and somebody wants to dive in and go deeper. What about the possibility of doing a, a TV show that explores some of the later some of the later stuff? Hey, I, I'd be down. Yeah, I'd be. Doomed. Yeah, I think it. Use that like five times, Zach. Whole episode, you'd have man. to commit. You up you'd have this. to commit to a lot of seasons, I think, at that point. But that that said, I think you almost you almost have to go that direction because packing the second book on into one movie or even split in between two movies. Yeah. But if there's one network that I would say could potentially pull off something to that scale that, that would want to tackle something like that. It's HBO. Yeah. I could also see, I mean, this gets really weird and who owns what rights and what's allowed and whatnot. I could also see this fit really well on like Amazon if they, you know, yeah. if they put the budget behind it, <laughs> if they don't use it all up on their new Lord of the uh, Rings on show, the Lord of the Rings show. I'm fine with that. No, <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about that show. We might need to go back and follow up episode, episode. <laughs> uh, one day. Yeah. Fun fact. That's our most downloaded episode well, is, is, is the Lord of the Rings, Rings Amazon show by far. I mean, everyone was just showing up for Aaron's Aragorn rant is really of course. actually, actually, no, actually, that was not that episode. That was the fan Q and a. Mm-hmm. That was. How was it? <laughs> that was the fan Q&A. The fan Q&A was on oh, that one. Oh, that's right. Lord of the Rings was Professor Aaron. Professor yeah. Aaron and is it a antidepressant or a Tolkien character? That's right. That's right. That's still one of my favorite games that we've played so far. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to talk about before we head on out? All right. Aaron can't be the only one with visual props. So Uh-oh. look at this oh, logo. Oh, wow. <laughs> look at this logo. The art direction and intentionality in this logo. I so mean, look at this. I'm glad Look you brought that. that up. That is because... so, well, it, it, it has me excited because to me, the artistic restraint, but yet yeah. ingenuity in this has me excited because it means that this is not going to go the way of Michael Bay. And they're just going to try to impress me with explosions and ooh, right. shiny lasers. 
It's right. like, no, we are going to make a civilized sci-fi with some, you know, punchy, blowy uppy, shooty moments. So you said art direction. And the one thing I want to add to that is I'm I'm pretty excited by what I saw in the trailer, because I think something that the David Lynch movie had going for it really well was that just like Lucas in the Star Wars universe, it feels very lived in and very yeah. used mm-hmm. because so much of it is practical effects that try as you might, you're just not going to quite get there with CGI. Yes, you can go grander. You can sometimes be more detailed. It might even look more real, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, it's hard to fool the brain. And this actually I'm really excited about because when you're looking at a rack, it's like something that's a, a really desolate desert planet. I almost feel like in some ways that was easier to capture mm-hmm. in, in like the 70s and 80s because you just went out and filmed in a desert yeah. or you recreated a miniature that you just put sand in and you colored it either in, yeah. with lighting or post-production or whatever. And it looks like a desert. Um, whereas it, in the art direction in the new one, I'm like, OK, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this both both in planet design and costume design yes. and, and all these things. And, and I'll. I'll I, I think it strikes that balance between what you had in in like the Lynch film where it's that very like kind of military society and everything. So you have the uniforms and everything, but they look like a product of their time for sure. Whereas this still leans into that, but is a little bit sleeker and is a little bit. Um, I, anyway, I, the, the, the art direction looks phenomenal. Even those yeah. fleeting shots we got in the trailer of some of the things on the planet, some of the buildings, some of the the um even the headboard on his uh, on paul's bed which by the way in in the novel actually anyway i won't get into that but anyway really great yeah really great and one other thing about the art direction that didn't go unnoticed that in my research i found out that he pulled a lot from different arabic terms and phraseology Mm, and i feel like they very intentionally chose to lean into that not only in the soundtrack by Hans Zimmer, I mean, that that voice the kind of echoing out in the oh, desert. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even in, in the style of clothing, I thought, all right, this is a mad respect for source material. Yep. Mm-hmm. In I fact, it's lovely. Speaking of mad respect for source material, they have on YouTube a side by side comparison to the original <laughs> 1984 trailer. And then the first trailer that came out for Dune, not the most recent one, but the first trailer that came mm-hmm. out for Dune, and they almost did a shot for shot remake. Really? Oh, and it shows, it shows that the people behind this new Dune really were lovers of the original. Okay. That's I mean, it, it's like, it's oh, like man, 90%, 90% the same. Okay. Okay. All right. Very I'm well down. done. Well, We'll wrap this discussion here up, but we want to hear from you guys on Dune specifically. Have you guys ever watched it? Have you are you thinking of passing on the upcoming film or read it? They have you read it before? (laughs) Uh, Is this something that you're planning on passing on? Are you totally there for it? Like, seriously, anything you want to add to the discussion? Um, Just keep spoilers out of it. But Mm -hmm. there's so much to the franchise that we want to love uh, and there's more context as to why we love it. So leave us a comment on YouTube or head to dadgumnerds.com and hit us up on our contact button. Uh, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, so just go on and head that direction. Well, Come on, Dune. Time to wrap things up. We'll be right back in just a second. Well, any closing thoughts before we go? I somehow am even more excited for this 
And oh, after this discussion, I'm like, all right, so are we oh, going to yeah. coordinate babysitting and all see it together? Because yeah. I kind of, we've talked about this, like getting the dads together to go see a movie. This would be a good one. And you know, it's funny. I'm usually so protective of these things. I'm usually like, please don't make a movie of this because I know you're mm. going to mess it up. Right. Or, you know, maybe I'm mildly excited when I see a, a miniseries or a TV show come out, but there's always that nervousness. So it's really rare what I'm feeling right now, which is that I, I like full speed ahead. I have no, there's nothing no. I'm particularly concerned about based on the trailers. Again, let it breathe, give it time, tell the story. You seem to be heading in the right direction. My other takeaway is, again, I will say, if you have not read it, read the book. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Looking at you, Kevin. Read the other books. I, although I've only read <laughs> the second one as do well. It. If he, he's never going to read Dune. It is pretty thick. So. It's, a th- it's a thinking <laughs> man's book. He's not going to do it. But uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm thrilled that we talked for like an hour about this topic um, and there's just still so much to talk about. So, again, yeah, we've, a- we've touched on nothing beyond the basics of the story. Because right. There's a spoiler around every angle. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dadgum Nerds. Aaron, you want to help close us out? Yeah, I will. So, of course, follow or subscribe. It helps us out a lot. We love new fans. We love engaging with y'all and talking with y'all. Um, check us out. Um your views, your clicks, that helps, that gives us the the encouragement and the resources to, to, to beat do the, the thing algorithm. that we love. To beat the algorithm, of course, leave us a like, you comment. You are our melange. We love to engage. Um, Andrew, you're going to say it, but we're on Discord. We Check us out there. Now. And the reason I bring it up is because if you want to see an OG Dune towel, my mom won in a trivia contest. <laughs> I'm taking a picture of it. and I know you want to see that. Need, so uh, need we say more? Check it out. It's going to be pretty cool. What other reason do you need to get on Discord? I mean, but, you know, if you need other things to check out in between reading Dune, of course, also go to dagumnerds.com. We've got a merch store. You can leave a question that will make our Q&A episodes. You can also check out our Patreon program. We've got a lot of really cool perks such as, hey, you could guest on this show or, hey, get you a T-shirt. May not be as cool as an OG Dune towel, but we could make one. We should make a Dagum Nerds towel. We, we can should. put that on. We can put that on the merch store, or even I a fanny pack. With it. Yep. And as we've already touched on, you get some unique VIP access things, like your own Discord channel. <laughs> so check it out. And speaking of Discord, and it, both of you guys, speaking of Discord, uh, really, it's just a place where we can hang out with our fans. You know, we're we're running side by side with you guys, sharing stuff all throughout the week. On hey, this is a really cool thing. You guys should check this out. Or one of the fans saying, hey, this is a really cool thing. You guys should check yeah, this out. Find out yeah. what we're doing. We uh, and we we oh love these discussions. Like we want you to be part of the discussion. So oh, find yeah. Dagum Nerds on Discord. Jump in. We're always on there chatting about all kinds of things, and including easiest, Mass Effect, which we need to talk about. Yeah, one hundred percent. The easiest way to get to that is to go to dagumnerds.com and hit the Discord button, or you can go to dagumnerds.com/slash/discord. Either way, it'll take you straight there. So, Zach, how many times did you say the word Dune in this episode? Good, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I knew what I was doing. So we hit 17 puns this oh episode. My, and like 16 of them were Dune. Puns. I was going to say, so how many were Dune? Times? I don't know. Far That's too it. many, we're, but we're, I mean. We're, we're Dune. 18. Uh, no. Bad error. Well, before this gets out of control, guys, that's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you later, Dagum Nerds. Game over.